welcome to go to classes now if they'd like to. And uh, yeah, the, the bad news is that uh, Pastor Chad was supposed to be up here today and, and couldn't, couldn't make it because he's, he sounded really horrible when he, I don't think he was faking this time. <laughs> I mean, it sounded, just kidding, it sounded bad. Uh, the good news is um, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare, so you guys get a short sermon today, which is my Christmas gift to you. You're not supposed to... <laughs> I was looking for more of the, oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. All right, so we are, um, you know, real quickly, um, you know, when these, these things go, happen in, in churches all the time and you have to scramble and figure things out, I am so grateful. Just I want to thank the Lord and praise Him. There's so many people that just step up and make things work. Uh, you throw out a text here and there, and, and before you know it, everything's just worked out. And, and what a gift that is. So thank you. Okay, we're about a week away. From Christmas Day, it always creates this kind of anticipation. It does in me, at least. Um, you know, you're, you're looking forward to the time with family and friends and, and of course, presents and, obviously, food. Uh, I always look forward to that. But the real reason that we, we celebrate Christmas has to do with another time of great anticipation. Uh, the people of God yearned for this, this day when the Messiah would come and would rescue them. And so the Old Testament ends with this anticipation that God's people had, that they were longing for um, a better covenant because the one they had, they, they couldn't keep. They were longing for a better priest, one that would, would be a faithful mediator that could bridge the gap between them and God and be an intercessor for them. And they were longing for a better king, one that would rule in righteousness and, and be just. And they were longing for a better sacrificial system, one that would take care of their, their sins once and for all. And they got all of this in a gift that they received in Jesus. He is all these things and more. And this is really the the big story of the Bible. A Savior has come. And there's this uh, little children's book that we like to recommend and give out. Uh, It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. You might recognize the last name, uh, daughter of a a famous preacher. I thought it would be uh, fitting to read the opening lines from this to kind of help set the stage for us for the Christmas season. I I love the way she writes this. It says this, God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he's like, to help us to know him, to make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail, the way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims. And God put it into words, too, and wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it. As you'll, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are a lot of stories in the Bible, 
but all of the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece of a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. I, I just, I love the way that that's phrased. You know, Jesus is the central figure and hero of the Bible story. He's the reason we celebrate Christmas. He's the reason that we gather here to, together today, and he's the reason that we have hope for tomorrow. So meeting Jesus is the best thing that, that can happen. It changes us. There's a young Jewish fisherman named John who would verify this truth happily. Uh, John was a young man when he met Jesus, probably in his teens, he was working alongside of his brother James on his dad's fishing boat, uh, mending their nets. You know, he was just a regular blue-collar kind of guy. And one day, a man named Jesus walks by where they're working, and, and, and he calls John and James. And they immediately left what they were doing and followed him. That's <laughs> crazy to think about. Imagine the look on their dad's face like, as, they, as they walked off. It's like, can you, can you imagine just leaving everything behind? Everything else just behind to follow Jesus. And they kept following him physically for the next three years and spiritually for the rest of their lives. Jesus had an immediate and massive impact on John when, when, when they met. And, and he has a way of doing that to people. I, I see that in, in the lives of people here in this room, even today. People who have um, forsaken everything else to follow the Lord. People whose lives were in despair and without hope and, and without purpose. And, and then Jesus comes in and, and, and all of this changes. It, it's amazing to watch. Yeah, I remember Jesus calling me when I was 19 years old. Uh, it changed everything. Before that, I was, I was lost. I was depressed. I had no, no aim in life, no purpose. But on November 5th, 1986, I met Jesus, and everything changed. My life started going to a completely different direction. And I still wonder to this day why he, he wanted anything to do with me, why he called me, why he would love me. But I'm so thankful that he did. I still, um, you know, I think about John a little bit in the way that he would refer to himself, you know, how John referred to himself when he would, when he would write. Uh, it, it reveals something similar to what I felt. Jesus, uh, John would always refer to himself as this disciple whom Jesus loved. And it sounds kind of weird when you hear it at first. It's like, is he boasting? It's like, you know, Jesus loves me better than you guys. I don't think that's it at all. I, I, think, I think he was in awe. He never got past this, this, this fact that Jesus loved him. And, and I... I can relate to that so much. Have you ever struggled with the idea that God would, would love you? I do all the time. We struggle with it because we know who we are, right? We know what we're like. We know how we think. We know what we do. And we also know that nothing is hidden from God. We can hide things from each other, but he sees and knows all. So right now, Jesus knows you. He knows everything about you, everything you've done, everything you're doing, everything you will do. And he still holds his arms out to you to receive you. This is amazing. And he will receive you if you come by faith, confessing your needs, submitting to him as Lord and believing in what he's done on your behalf. And this reality is, is still overwhelming to me. It never grows old. It never gets tired. I always think whenever I drive by the mountains, you know, right now, you, you, when you drive by, you see them. It's like it, it, it never gets old. There's never a point where I look over and go, meh, you know whatever, I've seen that. I just, it never gets old. And this is, is even more that way for me. It never grows old. So 
John saw himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, and, and many of you, this is the way I am, I see myself as the, the sinner whom Jesus loved. And, and this is a big part of why John wanted to write all of this down in his gospel, so he, you know, other people could discover what he found, what he, what he learned to be true, and have a relationship with the Creator the way that he did. And he actually says that, the reason that he wrote his gospel in, in John 20, 31, he says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you, you might have life in his name. I love that phrase, life in Jesus. Do you have this kind of life, abundant life, where you are known, accepted, and loved unconditionally as well? You know, I see a lot of people around me today that, that don't seem to have much life, much joy, much peace, much, much hope, no certainty at all about their eternal, their eternal life. John figured out that Jesus was the answer to all of these things, and he couldn't wait to tell other people about it so they could experience this as well. This is really what evangelism is, by the way. It's become like this, this weird idea, weird, you know, oh, you gotta, you know, don't, don't push your beliefs on anybody else. You have discovered the key to life, the key to everything. Share it with people. You know, do it lovingly, do it kindly, but this is, this is why we do it. So this is what John does as he sits down to write and share this news in, in his gospel. Um, you've ever sat, sat down to write something, you don't know how to really get started, you're kind of just stumped, you see it in movies all the time where they, they type a couple words and they wad up the piece of paper and they end up with a pile of papers. I don't know that that's what happened with John, but I imagine him sitting there wondering, where do I start? Do I start with the day on the fishing boat when, when, when we were mending our nets and, and Jesus came up and, and said, follow me? No, I, I should go further back. Maybe to his humble birth when he was born in a manger, when he became one of us. Now, maybe further back still. This is how he chooses to introduce his Jesus in the Gospel of John. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That's an introduction. <laughs> That's amazing. He starts out with three words that would have been immediately familiar to his readers, right? In the beginning. It immediately makes you hearken back to another place in the Bible where we see those same three words, doesn't it? And that's not a mistake. That's Genesis 1.1 starts out in the beginning. He wants us to make that connection. He refers to Jesus as the word, and then he goes on to explain who Jesus is in relationship to time, in relationship to God, and in relationship to men. So first he says, in the beginning was the word. He's telling us that Jesus precedes time itself and that everything started with him. And the next he says, and the word was with God. So he wasn't alone in the beginning. And this, this, you know, he was accompanied by the Father and the Spirit. This isn't just speaking of proximity, but more importantly, the unity they have. They, they eternally exist together as one God, which is where he goes next by saying, and the word was God. This could not be a more clear statement. I don't know why people convolute this or, or play with it or try to make it say something. Oh, is this vague? No, it's not vague at all. Shouldn't be difficult to understand. John is plainly saying that Jesus is God. And then lastly, John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And of course, we refer to this as the incarnation. This is, this is the Christmas celebration and message. Jesus took on the form of creation by becoming a man and he lived among us. So 
why choose to refer to Jesus as the Word? Or in the Greek, it's the Logos. Why not just call him Jesus or the Messiah or one of the other titles that Jesus had? Why does he want to, to open with this idea of him being the Word? And this is a huge subject for sure. I'm going to just sim- you know, simplify it by focusing on two aspects of it. The Word, in part, refers to the way God created everything first. Okay? What, what method did God use to create? He spoke it into existence, didn't he? Let there be light, and there was light. So, so you have that aspect of it. In fact, verse 3 tells us that there wasn't anything made that wasn't made by Jesus. He is the mouthpiece or the spokesperson that God used to create. But John calling Jesus the Word mainly refers to the way that God chose to communicate with us. This is amazing. God wanted to say something important to his creation, and he spoke it profoundly through Jesus. Listen to the way Hebrews 1 puts it. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus, or John calls Jesus the word, and the writer of Hebrews says that God speaks to us by means of his Son. Now, when you want to say something, words are really helpful, Words are the best way we have to communicate about what we want, what we think and feel, uh, what we like and don't like, uh, you know, the things that matter to us, all those types of things. Words are crucial for accurate communication to take place. Men, and you you probably know this better than anyone if you're married, (laughs) I don't know if you're tracking with me, there's a good chance your wife may think that she's communicating perfectly clearly to you at times uh, and that you should follow and perceive everything that she's trying to communicate to you even though she's not using words. I don't know. <laughs> but don't, don't, don't look or don't, don't chuckle or nod your head. Just sit still right now for a second. But, but I'll just assume you know what I'm talking about here. Um, it's hard to communicate without using words, right? We, we, need, we need them. So sometimes, you know, a facial expression could communicate something. Maybe some, some body language could say something. Um, maybe a, a, a little guttural noise or some kind of like a sigh could communicate. But it's really, really helpful, especially for guys, to, to, to use words. We need them. You know, make it as clear and simple, as straightforward as possible. That's helpful. Uh, it takes all the guesswork out of it. And this, this is what God has really done for us. He's provided His Word for that purpose. People come up with some really strange ideas about who God is um, and and what he's okay with and all this kind of stuff. And it's because they're not listening to his word. (laughs) They're not paying close attention to what he's saying plainly, you know, or, or they're guilty. I've heard of some people that are guilty of selective hearing. (laughs) I don't know what that's like. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is the idea where you only pay attention to what what you're comfortable with or, or what fits your narrative or what accommodates your views and beliefs. And I see this happening all the time today. People, they want to co-opt Jesus as their mascot to, to, to like make it okay, all the stuff they believe and want to do. And so they change who he is and what, he, what he's okay with. And I, I can't imagine how God feels about that when we do that with, with his word. God isn't pleased when we ignore what he says. And thankfully, he has spoken so clearly to us through Jesus and through his written word that we don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. Do you want to know what God's like? It's in here. Do you want to know what God says? It's, it's in here. Do you want to know what God wants from you? It's in here. 
and he's appointed Jesus as his spokesperson. So just, we just recently looked at the transfiguration. What did he say there to the guys? A voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. <laughs> so this means that when we hear Jesus' words, we hear God's words. Um, someone might say, though, but actions speak louder than words. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. As I said, words are very important in communicating, but they don't always tell the whole story. Um, you can learn a lot by looking at somebody's actions, and sometimes a person's actions actually nullify the things that are coming out of their mouth, correct? But not so with Jesus. Everything he did backed up his claims of who he was, everything. So we're not only limited uh, to knowing um, God through Jesus' words, but we can also look at his actions and discover so much about God because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we have Jesus, he's the revealer of God, and at the same time, he's God revealed. And this is why you could tell Philip, for instance, that if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. It's the same thing. So by combining both the actions and the words of Jesus, we get to see who God is and find out what he's really like. And this is really amazing, because I don't know if you're like me, but I had some really wrong ideas and thoughts about God growing up. I just, uh, my, my view was not accurate. I thought God was a taskmaster who was impossible to please. I thought of him as he was cold and emotionally distant. Um, I thought that he was very grumpy and angry and unloving. That's my view of him then. I thought he was opposed to any kind of fun or pleasure. Like if there's fun going on someplace, he's coming over to stomp it out and make it stop, right? He was, people call him the cosmic killjoy sometimes. That's, that's the way it comes from. Um, I thought he had no sense of humor whatsoever. These were all the ideas, the wrong ideas. I couldn't have been more wrong about all of this stuff. And this is one of the reasons why, Christian, you should have a steady diet of reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read them and read them and read them and read them over again because you get to see and experience Jesus in a way that is amazing. It gives us a beautiful picture of what our God is like when we read these things. And it's such a gift to be able to know our God up close and personal. Um, it's not something to be taken for granted. I, I love John 1.18. Jesus tells, John says it. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, speaking of Jesus, has made him known. What a gift we have to be able to look at Jesus. And so what do we discover when we read the Gospels about Jesus? What are the, some of the things that, that we discover? And you can actually just shout them out. What are things you've learned about who God is by, by viewing Jesus? What's God like through, through Jesus? What do you see? Love. Yeah. Faithful, joy. Say it again. He's always with us. Yeah, he's loyal. He's faithful. He won't leave us or forsake us. Yeah. You guys got to speak loud. I'm old now. Merciful. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote down this, this list. He's humble. He's meek. He's compassionate. He puts other people's needs before his own. He's funny. <laughs> he had a good sense of humor, right? He hates sin but he's a friend of sinners. I love the way Jesus would spend time with, with outcasts and with people that, that nobody else would want to spend time with, the marginalized, the unlovable. He loves his enemies. He healed the sick and the infirm and the, and the, and the mentally ill people and uh, demon-possessed people, which means he has power over the devil and his minions. Um, he can do anything. <laughs> we see that over and over again, and he, and he wants to, to be kind and do good for his creation. He's fair, he's reasonable, he's generous. He wept. You know, that's one of my favorite things, right? You see God, God weeping, you know? 
That, that's amazing to me. He's a seeker and a saver of the lost. He's sinless. He gave his life for sinners. He conquered sin and death. And he has the power to completely forgive sins. I love that. He's faithful. He's loyal. I, you know, I said that. And he's going to prepare a place for us. That's in there too. God tells us a lot about himself through Jesus, but more than anything else, the first thing somebody said is, is the one that he screams to us, I love you. That's what we hear more than anything else through what we see in Jesus, God's love for us, right? God loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And I find it fascinating today how many people are yearning to, to hear God speak to to them or, or to reveal themselves in some way to make this connection. And they find all kinds of creative ways to do it, except for the, the, the one that he's really just offered freely to us. Like we want to hear, we want something, a miraculous sign. We want to hear some kind of special word from, from some unique place. And it's like, he, is, he has gone out of his way to speak volumes to you and reveal himself to you. And, and, and the ways he's done that, the first one is, is like he's yelling how real he is just through what he's been made, through his creation. We see that in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day they pour out speech, and night to night they reveal knowledge. I love that. But he doesn't stop there. He proclaimed his love for his creation in a, in a dirty manger 2,000 years ago when he came as a baby, a little helpless baby that would... You know, he left his eternal glory, took on flesh, and became like one of us. And then he makes the greatest statement of his love for us at the cross, where he willingly hung in our place, taking our sin so that we could be reconciled with God and, and enjoy eternal life through him. And then his resurrection was like the punctuation mark that proved that it all worked and it was all true. He speaks to us still through his holy word. The, the, the spirit and the, and the word combined it's, it's amazing what, what is here for us through his word. We can benefit from it every time we open it and read it. The question is, is do we, right? God is, is speaking still. He's speaking through his church. He's speaking through the gospel message. The question isn't whether he, he's speaking or not. It's are we listening? Are we willing to hear? And, and I hope you walk away today just knowing the lengths that the God of the universe has gone to, to communicate, to tell you something, and to let you know how much he deeply cares for you. Because it, it's sad to think that somebody could ignore that message or just miss it because it, it shouldn't be hard to miss. It's funny how, um, you know, people are with their phones. You know, have you ever been around somebody with, that's kind of always looking at the phone to see what's going on? You're, you're having a conversation and they're always looking. And, and if a call comes in that's important enough, they'll stop and say, oh, I've got to take this. Excuse me. This is, you know, um, <laughs> there's no more important call that you're ever going to get than God calling you now. Don't ignore it. Don't put it off. Take the call. You, you know, you're not guaranteed he'll call back. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. If this is something you've been putting off, put it off no longer. The God of the universe wants to commune with you, and he's gone to every possible length and, and, and way to do it. So, Father, thank you that we get to um, celebrate Christmas that we get to think about who you are and all that you've done for us through Jesus. Um, thank you, Father, that you love us. Uh, we, don't, we don't get it, but we know it's true. You've proven it by what you've done for us at the cross with your son. And so um, this, this Christmas, Lord, is there's so many things going on and, and things that could distract us. Help us not to miss you and all of it. Um, Father, if there's people out here, loved ones that, that are on our hearts right now and on our minds that uh, we, we know have maybe walked away from you or, or need to... Um, to, to hear from you again. We just pray that you would reach out to them one more time.
one more time, one more time, and, and tug at their hearts, Lord, right now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.